Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies, touchdown, 49ers. Okay, at this point, I just want to check in and see how everybody's doing. Want to make sure this fan base is still okay. I want to make sure you're still making it through this disappointing and nightmarish season. A season when the 49ers have now lost 10 games or more in four straight years for the first time in franchise history. It's the 10th time in the last 20 years San Francisco has lost at least 10 games. And now the Niners have only had five winning seasons in the last two decades. So I'm a little worried about you, the fan base. Just want to make sure everybody's okay. Hopefully there's brighter days ahead and and everybody's still weathering the storm as we wait for the Niners to turn this thing around. This is Al Sackle here for the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast sponsored by theqbsneak.com. Over the last two years now, the QB Sneak's weekly predictions have been over 60% correct. For accurate predictions on the NFL and thought-provoking NFL content that can help your fantasy team, confidence pools, or any help you need arguing with your friends over who's the GOAT, head to www.theqbsneak.com. Okay, so a little bit of news for us. Zane is actually going to be on a leave of absence. Zane's got a personal thing going on, and it's a good personal thing. Everything's going great with Zane and his family. But he's going to be out, oh, I don't know, maybe a month or two or maybe even more. It's, it's going to be a little while. So what we're going to do in the meantime is we're going to do a mix of probably just me doing the show with a guest. And then we'll have guests and then guest hosts as well. We've actually got some pretty cool people lined up that I think you guys are are going to like. Some have been guests on our show before. Um, others have helped co- as co-hosts before. So it's going to be cool. It'll be a little bit different for the next few months. But while Zane's away, obviously, we'll support him. And you know, you guys, too, drop him a note, see how he's doing. He'll be back soon enough. But in the meantime, you're stuck with me and then whoever else we bring on. And you know, luckily, I guess Zane doesn't have to talk about what happened here in, in week 13. It was, it was a rough one for the Niners is they got their doors blown off for the second week in a row and back-to-back games. Now they've really looked overmatched after, you know, being competitive for a lot of the year. And there were a lot of gut punch losses, but we're hanging our hat on, you know, they're close. And if Jimmy G was there, they probably win that game. We, how many times have we said that this year, but lately they've been getting killed. They got killed against the Buccaneers, the, the Seattle game. I mean, Seahawks just absolutely demolished them. So it's the past couple of weeks have been tough and you hope they're not quitting on Kyle Shanahan. And I'm looking at this a couple of ways. I, I don't think they're quitting on him, but offensively, what are you going to do? I mean, there's, there's not much a t- as a team that you're going to be able to do when you have a quarterback that was an undrafted free agent and was your third stringer to begin the season a 23 year old undrafted QB he's throwing to other than George Kittle two rookies in Dante Pettis and Richie James in a second year undrafted free agent Kendrick Bourne who in a normal year would be your fifth wide receiver Goodwin and Garcon have been out and at running back we see Matt Breida against the Seahawks he Breida's been great Breida has been making the offense go in a lot of ways but he re-injures his ankles so you have to turn to another undrafted free agent in a, in a rookie in Jeff Wilson who who just put off the practice squad and, and you know what it hasn't been pretty but this offense has been scrappy especially considering the old line struggling the past two weeks and, and the old line has been together most of the year and, and overall they've played pretty well but the past two weeks they have not looked good there's just pat there's been a lot of pressure on Mullins 
and Mullins plays very well. Well, when there's no pressure as do most quarterbacks, but he's been struggling with the pressure in his face as you expect a, a 23 year old QB to do. And they haven't been running the ball quite as well as they were before um, this past week. Brino Brita was hurt, but he struggled a little bit, but Mullins throws for 414 yards which was the most of any 49ers QB since Colin Kaepernick in, in week one of 2013. Dante Pettis really put together a solid game, and he's put together solid back-to-back weeks now. He has over 200 yards in three, three, three TDs in the last two weeks, and dead undrafted free agent running back Jeff Wilson had 134 all-purpose yards, and he did his part. Were there mistakes? Sure. Mullen throws a pick six. Pettis doesn't get vertical after a catch and, and, and comes up short. Would have been a first down. Wilson will quote unquote fumble. I didn't think it was it was really a fumble uh, when the 49ers were driving and, and and that that hurt. But that's okay. These guys are young and because of injuries, they're being put in a position that they can't possibly succeed in. They just don't have enough experience yet. It, but if you're a 49ers fan, I'll tell you what: you should be proud of guys like Mullins and, and guys like Wilson. And even Pettis, who's turning it on now, and in and, and Richie James, these guys are coming in as rookies and undrafted drafted free agents with almost no experience. And and they're giving all that they can. And and Kyle's doing a good job of setting them up to make plays. But really, if you're looking for an excuse, the offense has it. They have an excuse. What what are you gonna do? But while that offense has been ravaged by injuries, and you can't judge them this season, not at all, you can certainly judge the defense and the questionable personnel decisions and the poor coaching that we've seen a defense that it's lost Ruben Foster and and there's been injuries at the safety position, but it still has enough of what we thought were the main pieces and it never seems to know what it's doing. That it's, we still have these communication issues, 12 weeks, 12 games into the season, 13, 13 weeks into the season. They can't, they can't generate consistent pressure. Sure, their sack total is decent, but that got really inflated by the Raiders game and the Arizona game. There were 11 sacks just in those two games. So that sack total might look a little bit better than it is. And, and that's rough. And more than anything else to me, this defense has five takeaways all year. That is the fewest since at least 1940 through 12 games. And, and 11 takeaways is the lowest total ever in a, in a non-strike season. Uh, I think the Niners are going to beat that record. It's, it's, it's bad. It's, it's an all-time bad. And also, they're on pace to give up 448 points this season. So listen to this, 448 points. That's only 32 less or, or two points per game less than Jim O'Neill's historically bad defense in 2016. That defense gave up 480 points. With guys like Sherman and Buckner and Armstead and Thomas and, and Witherspoon, how did this happen? I got to know how this happened and I need some answers and I need them today. And that's one of the reasons we brought on former NFL and AFL cornerback, Eric Crocker, who he works with our buddy Dylan D. Simone over at fourth and nine. And he is here to help me break down this Niners D and hopefully give us some answers. Here's Eric. He's a former NFL and AFL player who currently works with our buddy Dylan D. Simone over at fourth and nine. He also runs Croc time. You where he works to train defensive backs. Can't wait to break down the 49ers D with Eric Crocker. Eric, thanks for coming on, man. Man, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right, before we get into the Niners D, tell our listeners a little bit about your playing career and, and what you do now in terms of working with the training players. Yeah, so, um, you know, I had my, my, my professional career. I, I started off um, just kind of a different path because I went to a, uh, I went to a Division two school. So um, from the D2, uh, 
I knew I wasn't going to run like a, a blazing 40-yard dash. And, and a lot of times they want you to go to like these little combines, like regional combines and stuff. Um, so I had an opportunity. Someone reached out to me that I knew and said, hey, I can't guarantee you a spot on this arena team, but I can, I can give you an opportunity. So I took the arena opportunity over going to my pro day and uh, like regional combines or anything like that. I just went straight to the AFL. So um, from there, I ended up, you know, obviously working my butt off and everything. And um, I ended up starting every game as a rookie in Arena One. And, uh, man, from there, uh, I, had, I had some buddies that ended up going to the NFL from that team. And one that's still playing, a couple that are still playing, one one passed away um, in a car accident. I, I'll bring it up. You guys will probably remember what happened. But um, so uh, – one of them, Jerry Brown. All right, so Jerry Brown, he was a, like a defensive end, mm-hmm. and he got pulled up, and the, the, the Colts had brought him in. He ended up getting in that car accident with the Cowboy player. The car flipped. Yes, I remember I that. Yeah, remember that from 2013. Yeah, I do. Um, so that was him. He ended up going to the Cowboys. But he was the first one to tell me, like, he was like, hey, Croc, um, they're asking me about you. And that was the first time I was like, wow, NFL? Like, NFL is asking who I am? Um, so that's a, it's a whole long story how that whole thing played out. But – I ended up going from there to the, you know, obviously I signed with the New York Jets. Um, I had a bunch of different workouts, one with, like, Chip Kelly and the Eagles. They have flew me in. Um, I had one with, like, Sean Payton and those guys. They flew me in. Uh, but the Jets and Rex Ryan, they ended up signing me. And um, I was there, you know, on and off uh, the roster for a little bit. And then uh, when I was finally let go for the final time, I went, I went, to, uh, I went into this draft for the AFL. And I happened to be like the number one, like the number one overall draft pick, which was pretty cool. Yeah. And um, I did my thing, and I, I played a few more years, and then and then I was done. So that that's my like playing career. But uh, from from that, I you know I had to transition into. I knew I love football. Like I just love it. I, I know anybody that follows me on Twitter, they can tell like I'm extremely passionate about the game. So I wanted to um, teach kids, you know, some of the things that I learned, and and hopefully I can help them not, you know, make help them not make the same mistakes I did, uh, you know, along the way. And um, I got into doing seven on seven and create my own like defensive back program. And I, I think back then when I first started, it wasn't such an epidemic of like trainers and things like that. I really just wanted to help like young defensive backs in the area where I grew up. And it just kind of turned into something else where, you know, I've trained like NFL guys and, and uh, you know, I continue to, you know, just train young athletes, man. I, I have a lot of fun with it. It's cool. What was Rex Ryan like? Oh, man. Best coach I've ever been around. Yeah. And, and I've been around, like, a bunch of different type of coaches. Um, you know, some with really strong personalities, some more easygoing. Um, Rex was, like, a combination of, like, a genius, but, like, you can have a beer with him. Like, great, great guy, great sense of humor, but he knew how to get you fired up, man. And, and I think uh, the biggest testament to that is that that team went 8-8. Eight and eight. And they had no business winning eight games. I mean, we've seen with the 49ers how hard it is to win games. Uh, That Jets team was not very talented, especially offensively. I mean, your your number one running back was like uh, Mike Goodson or, or, no, Chris Ivory was up and down. Um, I mean, yeah, Bilal Powell, that was still there, but he was kind of feeling his way around. Um, Your receivers were like, gosh, I I mean, they kept breaking that word. They cut Santonio Holmes, where he retired. Um, I mean, I don't. I couldn't even. Stephen Hill, 
Uh, right. I mean, yeah. <laughs> who, who were their receivers? Um, I think they had like an older version of Kellen Winslow. Um, the the team wasn't. I, I have no idea how they won eight games, but I I know it had to do with Rex Ryan and the master motivator that he was and how intelligent he was as far as like understanding defenses. So man, Rex Ryan, great, great, great dude. I, I have nothing but you know respect for him. He he knew who you were from were you the best player on the team or whether you were you know, the lowest guy on the 90-man roster. He, he'd ask you how you were doing and knew you by your first name. It was pretty cool. He, he was a great guy. You think he gets back in the NFL at any point? Man, he should. I think he gets a bad rep, but it's like, you know, his, his offenses, offenses have been bad. Even when I saw, uh, you know, he went to the Bills and his offensive coordinator was Greg Roman. I'm like, man, it's not going to work. <laughs> so <laughs> right, he yeah. just had a, he's had bad situations to me, like offensively where, you know, it's just not putting him in the best of situations. But he should. I, I think when you think of off- uh, when you think of a head coach, that's what he is. He's a leader of men. He's a master motivator. And he mastered, you know, his side of the ball. He just, you know, he needs a good, good offensive coordinator. Like, if you paired him with Kyle Shanahan, I mean, that, that would be a great, that would be a great pair. I, I think they'd do great things. And then, who knows? Maybe that'll happen. Let's see. Um, no, nah, I hope not. Might- uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you mentioned your, your Twitter handle and it's at Eric underscore Crocker. And for those who may not follow you, you, you do just such a great job on Twitter, breaking everything down. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show because you're one of my favorite follows. And I just go through and, oh man, the stuff that you, you break down and the film and, and you know so much about defensive back. So we had to have you come on. And I wanted to ask you questions about this Niners D because Eric is driving me <laughs> absolutely crazy. And I want to ask you about specific <laughs> players yeah. in, in you know, and really get you taken on what's going on. But I got to start with the fact we're, we're 12 games into the season now, and we're still seeing breakdowns and missed assignments. I mean, how is this happening? Is it coaching? Is it the players? Is it a mixture of both? Man, you know, that's the, that's the number one question. And, and I've heard like different answers from different people in the media. Um, my thing is, yeah, it, it has to be a little bit of both. You know, on, on one hand, you know, the, the coaches can't play for you. You know, they can try to put you in the right positions. They can coach you up right. But they can't, they can't make the plays for you, you know. Um, my biggest question with the coaching staff would have to be, is there, is there some kind of disconnect between what they're saying to the players and what they're having them do? Is that why there's the blown coverages? Or are they just players that don't understand what they're doing, which I have a hard time thinking that's the issue because it seems like all their players are pretty smart. Um, you know, they have a bunch of smart guys, you know, when you go through the draft process, a lot of what you hear is, oh, high IQ guy, really smart. Um, you know, some of these players, you know, uh, uh, Fred, you know, guys like Fred Warner from, you know, coming from BYU, smart, intelligent guy. Um, Akela Witherspoon, he's like a 4.0 student um, throughout high school, throughout junior college and college. He's like a 4.0, like, doctor-type student. So, I mean, these are guys that are smart and have IQ. So, the busted coverage is, I – I want to say it's both, but I, if I had to pin it on one person or kind of blame one person for one person at fault, I would say Jeff Halfley. That's probably who I would look to first. Mm-hmm. So as far as Robert Sala is catching a lot of heat, do, do you give him another season or should the 49ers move on? Or maybe just like you mentioned, the secondary coach, they make some changes within the staff. How do, how do you attack this if you're them? Oh, yeah. Um, I, I would no, I would keep Sala. Um, and, and the reason why I keep Sala is because I, I like a lot of the things that he does. Again, like the coaches can't play for the guys, but I think um, what he wants to do 
is there. You look at the overall numbers, you know, um, for most of the season now, or like especially like this later part of the season, we've had kind of more of a top 10 defense as far as yardage goes. Uh, now the issue is we can't get off the field. We can't get, we can't get takeaways and we can't, um, we have a hard time rushing the passer and getting them to the, well, our sack numbers, I feel like are kind of inflated. I don't think we're as good of a pass rushing team as the sack numbers, you know, would, would say, but yeah, I, agree. I, I think there's no, there's no finisher. There's no guy that, you know, a high take, takeaway type guy. Um, Richard Sherman had been that guy throughout his career and he's, you know, zero interceptions this year. So I, I, I would say that I think Salah needs a few more pieces and, and I'd address that a certain way, especially in the off season, but he, he needs some more pieces. I, I wouldn't put it all on him. Um, I would, yeah, I wouldn't put it on him. I, I think he's doing a pretty good job with what he's been given and the flaws that some of these players have. Now, if they did decide to go in a different direction, you hear names like Todd Bowles, Chris Richard, Dan Quinn, maybe even Rex Ryan, who knows. What guys would you consider if you did have to make a switch? What are what are some names that you would want to bring into the 49ers to, to take over as defensive coordinator? Well, if, if these guys, if they're having like these busted coverages because they're not, their IQ isn't all there, I wouldn't say Rex Ryan because um, that he puts a lot on the safety position. Um, you have to be really smart. You have to really understand what you're doing in his defense. Like the, the safety in his defense is like the quarterback of the uh, of the defense. So I wouldn't say him. Um, I would probably say Chris Richard. And, and, and the reason why uh, I know he's kind of like the hot name. I've seen a lot of people throw his name out there. One, you know, obvious obvious reason is you know similar scheme. All right, so you wouldn't have to change too much. Um, he probably has his different wrinkles that he likes. But the main reason why I I really like him and I don't know if that's possible because he really is like the the guy in with Dallas. I, I think he, he's the one calling the plays and stuff and he's the passing game coordinator and he's calling a lot of defense. But if say if he was available, he would be the guy because I think he when I look at him and I see how intense he is, he's a he's a master motivator. And I like that. Like like I said about Rex Ryan, man, be a leader of men. Be a leader of men. And if you watch Chris Richard on the sideline and how he's holding everybody accountable um, and, and just look at how they play, they play that, – that defense looks just like the Seahawks defense did. Everybody's running full speed to the ball. Watch the Cowboys from, from the time the, the ball is snapped to the whistle is blown. That's one of the hardest playing defenses in the league. And I think a lot of, the, a lot of that has to do with Chris Richard. That wasn't a good secondary. And all of a sudden he moves some guys around get some guys in there and I mean obviously there's a good pass rush but they're, they're, they're smothering Byron Jones looks like the best cornerback in the NFL right yeah. now I think Chris Richard has a lot to do with that he's raising the, the level of his play in the secondary and the overall defense so isn't that a knock on Salah though because you have a guy like that who's running the same type of defense and, and they're they're excelling they're responding to him he's teaching them and with Salah they, they can't figure out where they want to be yeah it it, it is and it, it is, but it isn't. I know it's kind of contradicting. Um, part of it, though, is when you look at the defense, the, the Cowboys have had one of the top run-stopping defenses, and they've had that pass rusher with Demarcus Lawrence. Um, and, and it seems like Richard was the cherry on top with getting the secondary right. But once you got the secondary right, now you have a complete mm-hmm. defense. Now, now when you know people talk about fixing the 49ers and stuff like that, um, having a pass rush and an uh, edge rusher can – really change the entire dynamics of this defense. Again, we don't have a guy that's forcing these turnovers and stuff, but if, if you can get a guy 
um, like, you know, State Bosa. And this guy is, you know, pushing the, put, you know, squeezing the pocket. They're crashing the pocket down, and he's forcing the quarterback to throw the ball a little bit early. Now you start seeing that's how the turnovers start being created. Um, so part of it is, Richard, that defense is kind of set. Everybody's firing on all cylinders. But I do think, like, I mean, if I was, if you were to tell me right now, I could have one or the other. I would say Chris Richard. If it wasn't Chris Richard, I probably would stick with Solid. Now, as I mentioned, you do a good job breaking down the individual players, and you and I have talked a couple. Well, I think it was like a, I don't know, maybe a month or two ago about Witherspoon. We were both saying that you know we mm-hmm. think he's kind of getting a bad, a little bit of a bad rap this this year, and he's had a rough season, but it's been an up and down season. But I don't really think he's been as bad as most people think that he has. I know you've watched him and studied him a lot. What do you see from Witherspoon this year? Oh, man. Um, it's really weird, man. Um, I, I think he – so me, I, I call things how I see it, you know, and, and maybe I view the position a little bit different just because I know how difficult it is. But um, I don't look at things as just black and white. Like, I, I look at it from, okay, why did this happen or why is this happening? And are these things fixable? So with him um, – you know, Dante Whitner, right? Dante Whitner um, had a great Instagram breakdown and, and showed a lot of different things um, that Akilah Witherspoon can, can uh, get better at, right? And I saw people, you know, write articles and say things like, oh, my gosh, Dante Whitner, he just ripped Akilah Witherspoon. And, and when I was li- watching it, I did not think that he was ripping Akilah Witherspoon. I, I felt like he was just – that's coaching. Like, that's, you know – it's not so much calling them out or ripping them. It's just, hey, you need to get better at this. You need to get better at that. And if you can do these things more consistently, you'll be good. So that that was kind of how I took that. And I was listening to him on KBR, and they asked him a question. They said, hey, you know, out of all these young guys that the 49ers have in the secondary, who's the best? And they named everybody. They they even named some guys on the practice squad, but they named Colbert, Tart, DJ Reed. They named everybody. And they asked Dante Whitner, hey, who's the best out of all these guys? Without thinking, without even thinking about it, he said a Keller Witherspoon. Mm-hmm. Keller Witherspoon is the best out of all of them. And so I, I say that to say, I think a lot of people got his message kind of mixed up. Um, he, he expanded on it, and it's things that I see. I've, I've been on record, and people can look on Twitter, and they see, I like 5'11 corners. That, that's why I would like my guys. Me being a 6'1 corner, 6'2, um, I knew my limitations, and I see my limitations in a lot of other bigger defensive backs. A Keller Witherspoon is very rare. You do not, and he touched on this, but you don't see six three corners that can move how he can move. You don't you don't see six three corners with that type of feet, with that type of change of direction, with that type of um, speed. His long speed it's very rare. He has a he has a very unique um, skill set. Um, so w- w- with that, he has a lot to build on. The the thing is consistency, and Whitner touched on that. It's it's consistency and every rep dialing in and trying to win that rep, all right? Um, and once he does that, he's going to be great. Uh, and I keep referring back to Whitner because people, people saw that. And, and I wish that they would listen to what he said on KBR, but he said if he can dial in and, and on, a, on, a, on a play-to-play basis, he can be an all-pro cornerback. That's his words, not mine. Mm-hmm. And, but I agree. He, he is that type of talent. And I, and I think he is kind of getting a bad rep because, you know, he struggled early on, especially against the Lions. Um, he's given up a play here and there. Um, you know, a touchdown. He, he had the two-man where he was beat against the Giants, and people were like, oh, why is he jogging? Even though I understand what coverage it is. I'm like, yeah, two men. I knew right away when I saw it. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
you know, since that time, I mean, you see, even that game, what, uh, I, was it Matt Barrows? One of those guys, they wrote an article and they were like, well, he was only responsible for giving up one catch for 11 yards, according to PFF. Right. Um, after that, how much has he really given up? He had a, one PI call against Tampa, um, which, you know, yeah, but I'll tell you that. Would he give up one catch um, to uh, to Evans when they called holding on him too, but Evans caught it. It was like a 10-yard game. Did he give up anything else for the rest of that game? Um, the Seahawks game, he had the PI in the end zone, you know, whatever. But did he give up any other catch for the rest of that game? So he's been putting together very solid games and showing signs of that are very encouraging. Uh, but I think a lot of times the people that I get on him a lot is the fans, and I think he had a bad rap for some of the things that happened early on, and that's kind of stuck in their, their brain. Um, but me, I kind of look at it as just who he is, man, and I think going forward you have a, you have a solid starting cornerback with a Keller Witherspoon, especially if he continues to, to get better. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree 110% on that. I, I think next year is going to be a much better overall season for him. And he, Richard Sherman's had a pretty good year. He's, he's had past couple games have been a little bit rough. Have you seen the same Richard Sherman this year? And what do you expect moving forward? Is, is he on the decline or can he still put together a few really solid years in 2019 and beyond? So I, I don't know if, if he can't run, Like he, he can't, he can't, um, you know, we saw with Mike Evans, there's been a few other times where I see it. If he, if he gets behind, like if he's not, if he doesn't stay um, like upfield shoulder, um, it's very hard for him to make up any ground on a deep ball. Um, there was a there was a practice just a couple of days ago, like last week, where um, it was like the first time they did one on ones in a while, and I saw like Kendrick Bourne like just separate from him for about, by about six yards on a go route. And I know it's one on ones. I you know it's practice. I heard him in training camp say, you know, one on ones is you know is in practice is time for you to work on things and, and get better and and, and and all that's true. But I've, I'm seeing this, like, be a, a reoccurring theme where when somebody gets a step on them, that st- one step turns into five steps. And mm-hmm. I'm really shocked that more teams don't really try him deep um, because that's something that I, I definitely would do. They, they've tried, uh, like we saw um, the uh, 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 Tampa Bay, they ran a deep post um, targeting Akilah Witherspoon with De- Deshaun Jackson. Witherspoon was really pretty much with him step for step. If they would try that with Sherman, I think it would be a far different result. Uh, he, he's kind of struggling to kind of uh, keep up with receivers right now. So I don't know if it's just because of the Achilles. Um, he was, you know, you hear it a lot, but he was never always the fastest guy, you know, but he was athletic. And right now, I don't, it, for, if this gets any worse, I mean, I don't know what you even do with him. It, 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 that that part's tough. That part's tough. He, he can't run downfield with people. Yeah, and I think it's been showing up the past couple of games, and I'm with you. I, I want to see what teams do the, the last four games here to see if they're going to attack him or not. And, yeah, if he's not if he's not the same guy next year, it could be a little scary for them. But and it's just straight from about, press. Like, straight from press. Not, like, if he press bells out, he can stay on top of somebody. But if he's yeah. straight from press and he kind of misses, and or, or a guy is able to like kind of you know be stronger than him at the line like what we saw with Mike Evans. That's when you can. I mean, there, there's damn near nothing he can really do. And the other group I want to talk about was the safeties because there there was so much promise with Colbert and Tart this year and injuries or whatever else. It, it just hasn't worked out. Do you still have faith in those two guys moving forward? How how do you see them in the future? 
Man, yeah, it's, it's very interesting because Colbert, I mean, when you watched him last year, you know, those last five, six games, you know, people always talk about Jimmy G and it's like, oh, Jimmy G went 5-0. and Well, Colbert, every game that he started, we won. He was 6-0. and He started in the uh, Giants game, um, broke his finger or whatever, and then he missed the next game, I want to say, against the Seahawks that we lost. And then he came back the next week uh, against the Bears, and, you know, we won every game from there. So he went 6-0. He, he played very well, um, sideline to sideline. He was very instinctive. He was knocking balls loose. And we just didn't see it this year. And I don't know if it had anything to do with the injury. Um, you know, guys got banged up off the, off the bat, you know, uh, against the Vikings. After that, you know, some of these guys had some injuries that kind of um, hindered them kind of going forward. We saw Tart was hurt um, uh, against, playing against the Lions. Akilah was hurt playing against the Lions. Uh, Colbert was hurt. So I, I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but it seemed like he just kind of never recovered and never really was the same. So I know if I was going forward, I would probably uh, – I have my idea of what I would do at that safety position and kind of um, take a little bit off of uh, Cobra's plate. But, yeah, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure exactly what, what, what happened, what, what, like why the drastic difference between what I saw on tape. And I watched, I watched the All-22. I watched every game that he played in. It was a big difference from that to what I saw this year. And before we let you go, Eric, I want to ask you, if, if you're Lynch and Shanahan, do you pull out all the stops to Earl Thomas this offseason? So I, I just kind of alluded to what I would do. Um, and, oh, man, yeah. So I've seen some people that are like, oh, he's 29 or he's turning 30. And, man, this dude, he's, he's still very instinctive. I saw him, I want to say, it was like the first game of the season against the Broncos. He had two interceptions. Um, he's still jumping stuff. These, these are things that we, we right now, the 49ers can't force any turnovers. Um, he's, he's still a guy that's getting takeaways. Uh, he's still a guy that's playing at a high level. Maybe he's not that 4-3 Earl Thomas that he was, but he's still probably in the 4-5 range. The guy takes care of his body. Um, I think he'll come back from his broken leg just fine. Uh, that's a guy that, you, you know, one, another need that might be for the 49ers is like a receiver, where there's no real receivers in the free agency. So. Mm-hmm. Some of that money that I would take to give to a free safety that I might sign, and I probably was going to sign a receiver, I would give a lot of that to Earl Thomas and hope that that would take some off of Cobra's plate and I can use him in a different way and I have that uh, that free safety for the next at least two years and Cobra can kind of learn what he sees. But I think he'd still play at an extremely high level and that would limit some of the coverage busts that we've seen from the 49ers. I, I, would, I would write him a blank check. <laughs> yeah, 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 I would too. Yeah. Get him get yeah. him in the fold, absolutely. Hey man, this was great. We really appreciate the time. All right, thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Eric Crocker for coming on the show. Great interview with him. Lots of good stuff on the Niners D there. All right, to get started for the second part of the show, before I get into anything really with the Niners, I want to talk a little bit about Alex Smith. And if you haven't heard, you know, obviously Alex Smith broke his leg. It was a really bad break. And it looked like his career was in jeopardy just, just from the break. But news broke that he was actually battling an infection now in the leg and he might be facing some more surgery. And this looks pretty serious for him. And want to wish Alex best wishes. And I did want to say about him, you know, is we professional athletes today and, and some of them just disappoint us. And there's a lot of negativity in the news that we see with Kareem Hunt situation and the Reuben Foster situation. And it's disappointing as fans when we see that, but Alex Smith, always one of the classiest guys in the league, just carries himself really, really well. Carried himself with grace through a lot of adversity football-wise. 
And if you remember those Niners years, they they were tough on him, really tough on him. And he was labeled a bust. He was flat out labeled a bust. And what he did was he persevered. And he he's a great example to me of perseverance and someone that kids should look up to in you know in terms of, of an athlete and in, in what he's done on the field because he he was left for dead after 2010. He wasn't coming back to the Niners. He looked like he'd maybe go be a backup somewhere and he was just a bust first overall pick. But Jim Harbaugh comes in and rejuvenates his career. And all of a sudden in that 2011 season, Alex Smith was playing pretty well. He wasn't putting up big numbers that year, but he was playing pretty well and he was leading this team to wins. And it was really impressive what he did that season. And obviously that, that game against the Saints is just an all-time in the playoffs in the division round, just an all-time Niners game when it looks like they're done. And he completes those two short passes to Gore and then the long pass to Davis. And then the touchdown pass to Davis too. And there was the jet sweep that he ran in that game. Just, just so many memorable moments for Alex Smith in that game. And then the next season, 2012, he was playing his best as, as a 49er. The Niners were 7-2-1 and one with him at quarterback, and he, w- he was having a tremendous season that year in 2012. Um, he was putting 70% of his throws that year. He had 13 touchdowns to only five interceptions, and then obviously he gets hurt and Kaepernick comes in, and the rest is history there. But then he went to Kansas City, and in five seasons he made the playoffs four times, and in they won 10 games or more four times and Alex Smith made the pro bowl three times. And he really turned his career around and ended up having a great career. And if, if this is it for him, it's, it's too bad because I listen, I loved watching Alex Smith play. I've been rooting for him since the day the Niners drafted him. I rooted for him with the chiefs. I rooted for him with the Redskins and, and I'm going to root for him after football too, because he's, he's a great guy. And like I said, a great story. In, in perseverance and in what a job resurrecting his career. So best wishes to Alex, you know, is from the 49ers family. I'm sure everyone is, is thinking of him right now. Something else I wanted to get into today. We've talked a lot on this show about the roster and the draft and, and where the 49ers hit and where they missed and what they needed to do in the draft. One thing I, I want to talk about on this show was how the, the Lynch Shanahan regime has done in free agency. And I put this out on Twitter and always, you always have to thank you guys so much, so many responses so much feedback. I love it. I just appreciate that you guys really interact with that because it helps me see where the fan base is when I do the show. I, I I don't get to talk being on the East Coast. I don't get to meet a ton of Niners fans. So when I put stuff out on Twitter and get to hear what you guys think, it's, it's great. And almost 100 people answered me on this. And my question was, how would you grade these pickups that the Niners have made in free agency? And it was pretty consistent. There were a few guys who were all over the board, but I want to do that now. I want to go through and let's look at these guys and I'm going to give them a grade to see what I think who the Niners got. And we'll start, we'll start with that 2017 group that they brought in and in the two receivers, they brought in in free agency to be their starting receivers for the next two or three years, Pierre Garcon and Marquise Goodwin. We'll start with Garcon. And I thought about Garcon, like, do I really want to give him a low grade? Because the first eight games of last season, Garcon was good. He really was. He didn't score any touchdowns. But he was good in between the 20s. He had 40 catches for 500 yards. So he's on pace for 80 catches and 1,000 yards. But then he hurts his neck things out for the rest of the season. Now, this year he comes in, and you hope that with Garoppolo, and I was going to get a full season of that, but we hope that he was going to be similar to last year where he could just be a consistent guy to get you 70-ish catches, 900 to 1,000 yards, and be that chain mover. And he really struggled this year. And we're not so sure he's even going to get on the field again as a 49er. So when you look at what they paid for him, 
22.5 million over these first two years, and they have an out in his contract this year. So Garcon's probably gone. I would be shocked if he's back next season. And overall, what they got out of him, he played 16 games. He caught 64 passes for 786 yards and one touchdown. For that money, that is a bust of a signing. Even with those good eight games, they didn't give him that contract to play eight games and then really not make any other other impact. So for that, I got to give Garcon a D. That ended up being a rough signing. It really did. You would hope that he could give you two, three good years and, and they bring in somebody like Pettis that he could mentor and, and then do the transition. But it wasn't. They really got half a season out of him. And it was rough for him. It really was uh, the beginning of the season. So we'll hope Garcon can maybe catch on with another team. I don't know. His career may be over. But the, but the Niners have to find another receiver now to go along with Goodwin and Pettis because Garcon is is going to be gone. Now, in terms of Goodwin, he he's had a rough season with injuries. And he's got some personal stuff going on. But overall, I, that was a good signing for him because I think the best is still yet to come for Goodwin. And he came to San Francisco. We, we didn't know what he was going to be. He did nothing in four years with the Bills. He had 49 catches, 780 yards, and six touchdowns in those four years. So you bring him in and you're like, well, what is he? We, we have no idea what he's going to be. And it was one of more of those things where you say, can he fit in Kyle Shanahan's offense? He's one of those guys and kind of how McKinnon was coming in this year. They had hoped that, okay, he hasn't really done a lot, but in this offense, here's what we think he could do. And, and we saw a little bit of that last year. And last year, he had 56 catches, 962 yards, and two touchdowns. So he almost gets 1,000 yards, and you're like, oh, really? But you look at the Niners, they haven't had many 1,000-yard receivers. They had Crabtree and Bolden for a couple of years. Other than that, T.O.'s is the last person who had 1,000 yards as a, as, a, as a wide receiver. So 962 is a pretty pro- prolific year for the Niners. He had, a, he had a good year, and especially a good second half of the season with, with Jimmy G last year. This season's been a disappointment so far. Only 17 catches, 339 yards, and four touchdowns. He did have that big game against Green Bay, which shows you what he's still capable of. He had four catches, 124, and two touchdowns in that game. So it looks like he's going to play this week. It looks like he's back from the personal matters. And what you want to see with Goodwin is a finish like he had last year. You just want to see him involved in the offense and you want to see him taking off again. I still think he has a big future with this team. And again, next year, you have Pettis, you have Goodwin, and then hopefully they're going to bring in another wide receiver there, hopefully a big wide receiver, to play with those guys. But Goodwin can still be a big part of this team, and, and they gave him an extension. It's an affordable deal. He's a good player to have. So he's a solid B right now for me, even, even with the rough season. Now, another player they brought in last year, well, let's stick with offense, but before before I jump to defense, and, and we'll, we'll stick with uh, Kyle, Kyle Juszczyk, who the Niners brought in as fullback. Now, they, they paid him money. Four years, $21 million. It's It's sort of a year-to-year deal, and they do have an out after this season, but I don't see any reason why they would get rid of Juszczyk. He's a good blocker. He's a really good job blocking, and, and he's a nice piece to the offense. He has 59 catches for 600 yards and two touchdowns so far in his Niners career, and that's probably not – I mean, that's not what we expected. I kind of thought he'd do that in a season, to be honest with you. I, I, I sort of figured he'd be in the – 40s, 50s, and receptions. I thought they were going to use him that much initially when they signed him. He hasn't done that, but overall, he, he's he's been a good player for them and a good signing. And he's they're definitely better off having him than not having him. I'll give him a. I'll say I'll give you check a B plus. I think little expensive for a fullback, but but it, but it's 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 ended up going pretty well. I think. All right, shooting over the defense now from last year <laughs> in Malcolm Smith. They brought him in. He was a former Seattle linebacker. And 
he would come in and know the system and could start for them. And right away he gets hurt and misses all of last year, missed all of 2017, no impact, not on the field. You hope that this year he can come in, make more of an impact. And, and to me, it's been minimal. He's been average at best, not at all worth the money they gave him. And really it was, it was a big deal, but in, in reality, it was three years and 16 million. I think that's what the deal is ultimately going to be. So you may see him on this team again next year, just because the Niners don't have a lot of depth at linebacker right now, especially with Foster being gone the way that he is. The Niners expected Foster to be here for the next 10 years and he's out. So now you have Warner and then what? So I think Malcolm Smith is going to be back here, but still, he's he's a D for me. He hasn't been a good signing. He hasn't been what they expected him to be. He hasn't made an impact. Right now, he's just sort of a capable body and not at all what, what they hoped he would be. Now, the guys that they actually signed in 2017 before free agency really started were, were Quan Williams and Earl Mitchell. And Earl Mitchell, I think he's been pretty good, and he's just one of those guys you don't notice, but the Niners' run defense has been good. Again, is he is he a great player? No, but he, he's been solid, I think, in the middle of that defense. He doesn't rush the passer, which is the Niners' biggest issue, so he's not going to get tons of accolades, but he does a good job in the run game sort of plugging up there, and I'd give him a B-. minus. I, I, I think he was okay. Quan Williams is the other one, and Williams was pretty good last year. He's, he's been average this season. He's got seven passes defended in his, his Niners career. He's, he's played 26 games. He only has the one interception, which is a theme for the Niners defense. They just don't get a lot of turnovers. And I don't know if Quan Williams is what the future is going to hold for him in San Francisco. He's been an okay signing. I guess maybe I'd give him a C plus to a B minus. He did play pretty well last year. This year, again, I don't know that anybody's really playing well. So it's, it's hard to just you know blame him for that. But we'll go C plus to B minus for, for him. So that's 2017. Overall, the 2017 class, well, you bring in Goodwin and, and use check and, and again, Earl Mitchell. So maybe I'd give them a B minus for their 2017 free agent class. Now, looking at 2018, they made some big splashes. Obviously, Jarek McKinnon, you can't grade him. He hasn't been on the field. Not applicable. We'll see next year what, what that holds. The other big signing was was... Weston Richburg, and they signed him for five years, $47.5 million. Really, the deal is three years, $28, $29 million, but paid him a lot of money to come in and be an impact player. Has he, did, has he been that? I don't think so. I don't think he has been. And he's a guy, again, he, wasn't, he was a good pass blocker with the Giants. It's not like he was this all-pro center. But they came in, and they thought he could be a good player for Shanahan. Pro Football Focus gives him a 55 rating right now, which is like average. And I think that's what he's been this year. I think he's been average, which if, if you're okay with that, great. But for the contract the Niners gave him, I, I'm sorry. I just, I don't think that's good enough. I think they need more from him. They brought him in to kind of be the Alex Mack of this offense, the way the Falcons brought in Alex Mack when Kyle Shannon was the offensive coordinator there. Now, obviously, Richburg is not as good as Alex Mack, but still, you would hope that he would come in and, and play really well. And, and he, he may, may even... Out of all the offensive linemen, he may have, well, I'd say Tomlinson struggled too, but he's fourth to fifth best offensive lineman right now, and, you, and you're paying him more money than that. He's, he's got to step up. McGlinchey's had a good year. Staley, Staley, and, and Mike Person, who, who we'll get into in a second, has had a good year. And I think you need, I think you need more out of Richburg. I think he's a good signing. I think he's still going to end up being a good signing. You know, when Jimmy gets back, you could see him take off, but you have to see more. So right now, for me, Richburg's getting, getting a C. Richard Sherman is the next one. And, Sherman, look, 
Niners got him on a bargain deal. One of the best cornerbacks of, of all time. The guy's going to the Hall of Fame. So it was a great signing. He had a good start this season. He's had a rough couple of weeks, and I'm a little bit worried about him going forward just in terms of as he gets older, is he going to get slower? Are the injuries going to pile up? And you just heard Eric Crocker say that, that he really can't run right now, and if he can play press coverage, he's okay. But if people get behind him, it, it's, a, it's a little bit scary. So I, I just wonder what Sherman's going to be moving forward. He was terrific for the first half of the season when nobody was throwing at him. But that's what you want. You, when you have Richard Sherman out there, you hope you can kind of cut the field in half. And that's what he did for them. But moving forward, we have to see what happens. Pro Football Focus graded him at a 68 right now, which is a little bit above average. I, I'm still going to give Sherman a B-plus right now. Because he did play so well, I'm not going to have a couple games. I'm not going to go crazy, but we do have to see what happens for the rest of the season here with him. It's it's definitely something to watch for sure. We'll have to see what happens with him. And Mike Person, I mentioned him earlier. When I put this out on Twitter, Person he got some kind of mixed reviews, and I was really surprised by that because Person's played really well when you consider the circumstances. Niner signed him out of for a one-year deal for $915,000, okay? He just really looked like a camp body at the time because you have Joshua Garnett and Jonathan Cooper who were going to um, compete at that guard spot. And I thought Eric Magnuson would be the backup center. I'm like, my person's not going to make the team. And before you know it, he's starting at guard, and he's had a good season. He really has. And his pro football focus grade was 72.5. And overall, he's been an above-average player this season. You have to give that signing an A to me. when you pay that little money and you have someone who you not even sure is going to make the team and he ends up being an above average starter for you. That's a great signing. That was a great pickup. And that that's, that's an A for me for sure. Oh, I missed Robbie gold too. In 2017, he's an A man. Rob, Robbie's fantastic. We're going to give him an A. The other guy that I put now, I only played for the Niners in 2017, but I put him as a 2018 because the Niners resigned him coming in and that's Cassius Marsh. You just don't come in and take Cassius Marsh's job, right? Marsh to me is sort of, and I don't want to get on him because he is what he is, but he's, I guess, the example of what kind of went wrong with the Niners D this year when they brought him in to be really one of their main pass rushers, if not their main pass rusher. And he gets a two-year deal. And and last year he played okay. He had two sacks in in six games, but this season he he hasn't done anything. And and, and I, I feel like most of us knew that coming in. He has three and a half sacks in 12 games, and he had that outstanding game against the Raiders. The whole team did. We had two and a half sacks, and other than that, he's got one random sack that he kind of ran into the quarterback when he fell down against the Cardinals. He's made such minimal impact, and for the Niners to just put, it's not his fault. He's not, a, he's not an elite pass rusher. He's not somebody that defenses are going to be afraid of. He's somebody that the defense can block with one guy. He's not getting double teams. And for the Niners to bring him in and sort of make him that type of pass rusher, just a bad move on their part. It really was. So I, I give it an F. <laughs> I do because it's it's the epitome of what's what's wrong with this team right now. The lack of the pass rush that's really hurt them on defense. And we talked about the defense at the beginning of the show, and we we keep harping on it a little bit. And uh, Brian Baldwinger uh, put out a tweet, or Baldinger put out a tweet from NFL Network that said um, it was looking at he was doing his tape breakdown as, as he normally does, and he talked about that the Seahawks were were a well-coached team that do a lot of things well. And the Niners were a team that, that they don't do anything well. <laughs> and, and that was kind of like, I thought to myself, whoa, 
this guy's watching tape. This guy, this guy knows the NFL and he's watching tape and he's looking at the Niners. He's saying they don't do anything. Well, he's giving examples. He's giving the special teams examples. He's giving defensive examples where, where just the Niners just, they don't even, they're just getting blocked. They're just running into people and getting blocked. And I really thought about it and look, the Niners do need to go out and they need to get another receiver. They need, Need, we talked about with with Eric. They need to go out and get like an, I think get Earl Thomas would be huge at safety. They need pass rushers. They need another linebacker. But while they have to upgrade their roster, I also wonder if they have to upgrade their coaching staff. And that's not Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan to me is one hundred and ten percent safe. But Kyle Shanahan's very involved in the offense, so he's spending a lot of time with his offense. And I I wonder if he just has too much on his plate. And if he doesn't want to hire an offensive coordinator, that's fine to me if he wants to call the plays and everything like that, but you need better coaches elsewhere. You need a stronger special teams coach. You definitely need to be a stronger defensive coordinator. And there's been a little back and forth about Robert Sala. He doesn't have the horses. Um, you know, he, give, give him another season type thing. To me, there's been too many breakdowns. These guys don't know what they're doing and it's week in and week out. And I, I just feel like he's not adjusting to his talent they have to move on to me. You need a head coach for the defense. You need somebody that can just get plugged in and, and basically coach the defense. Get a vet guy in there, whether it's Chris Richard or if Dan Quinn loses his job or Todd Bowles, just, just get a veteran guy in there that can run the defense. Kyle can run the O. And I think that will really help the Niners. Like a large part of it right now is they just have such an inexperienced staff and you're seeing it in, in the coaching. You really, really are. And if the offense has to do anything with Kyle, they have a lot of good pieces there. The offensive line, like I said, for the most part, has played well this year. They really have. The past couple of weeks haven't been great pass protection-wise, but overall they've run blocked really well, and it's been a good group. And I can see them bringing person back next year. And then you have, if you have that same, that same starting five, I think you're okay for next year. And then you have Jimmy. And then at running back, I'm not worried. You have Brita. You have McKinnon. Jeff Wilson is a hard runner, man. Like watching him. Maybe maybe he can help in the in the goal line. Obviously, Kittle's a stud at tight end. And then I, I like Goodwin and I like Pettis. So you really only need to me one piece on the offense. And that is a big-bodied wide receiver. And the reason I say that is the Niners need help in the red zone. Right now, their red zone percentage is 31st in the NFL at 47, 44.7%. In 2017, they were 27th at 47.1%. Yeah, I looked up, somebody asked me too, well, you said 2017, 44.7%. What, what were they with Jimmy G? They were actually 48.5% in Jimmy G's five starts, uh, but they did start out three and 13, three, four, 13, I should say, in his first three starts. And then one, eight, four, 11 over the last two games. It's all very a small sample size. The first three games are a small sample size and the last two games are a small sample size. So we'll have to see what they do for him over the course of this season. And they were struggling in the red zone again with him the first three games. I know Alfred Morris had a fumble in the red zone and they didn't really play enough to you know, really make any kind of assessment. But the Niners need to bring in a guy to me, a, a big-bodied wide receiver who can come in and, and make plays. They really do. Whether they do it in the draft or they do it with a trade or free agency, whatever, they just need that one more piece. I think if they get that one more guy, this offense could be dynamic. I really do. And one of the things that leads me to say that is the development of Dante Pettis. And when we look at this game with Seattle, I got to give my game ball to Pettis. And I've said numerous times on this show, the most important development on offense, most important player to develop is Dante Pettis the rest of the season because the Niners need a weapon. They need 
a receiver. They've had an awful season right now with in terms of their wide receiver production. There's only two teams in the NFL who do not have a wide receiver with at least 400 yards. The Niners and the Redskins. The Niners leading receiver, Marquise Goodwin, 339 yards, and the Redskins is Josh Stockson with 385. So the Niners actually, the leading wide receiver has the lowest total of any team in the NFL. Obviously, Kittle's having a great year from the tight end position. He's up in the 800s. He's probably going to have 1,000 yards this year. But as far as wide receivers, they don't have anyone with 400 yards. Only team in the league to do that. So they need help. (laughs) They need a lot of help at this position. But Pettis looks like maybe he's that guy. He's got 206 yards last two weeks. He's been targeted 14 times in his nine catches. He also has three TDs. He's also tied for the team lead in total touchdowns right now with four. But when you consider the Niners' leading receiver, has 339 yards this year, leading wide receiver, and Pettis has 206 in the last two weeks, that's pretty good. That really is pretty good. And he still does some things where I'm like football IQ. Is it all there? Is it all going to come? And we talked about that pass this week where he caught it and kind of tried to run to the side or whatever he was doing. He's got to learn just football IQ things. and is Running the wrong routes and that sort of thing. Shanahan runs a complicated offense. A lot of rookie mistakes with that. So I don't read too much into that. And if he can keep making 75-yard touchdowns, you'll live with that stuff. But Pettis has really grown the past couple of weeks, and he's just a guy that's so important to the Niners. So important to the development of this offense if he can come in. Can he be a red zone threat? I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Most of his touchdowns have been the longer variety, but it's good to have a big play guy too. If you can have him and Goodwin being the big play guys, and then you get a, a, somebody in there to move the chains, I don't think Kendrick Bourne is ever going to be that guy. I really don't. I think he's at best a fifth receiver, special teams type guy. I, I just don't think he's he's ever going to be that type of player. So I really feel that they do have to bring someone in to do that so all right looking forward to this week the broncos game i'm not gonna pick the niners again this season (laughs) nor do i want to at at this point as much as i hate for them to lose it just makes sense for them to lose out and get nick bosa to me that's that's the absolute best thing that they can do get that dynamic edge rusher in there so i'm gonna pick the broncos this week and i'm gonna say the score will be 27 to 13 broncos have been playing pretty well lately and the broncos have rookies and you would like to see the niners bring in rookies like this next year philip Lindsay, the running back and I, again i think the niners are set at running back which is in terms of making an impact they bring in an undrafted free agent at running back he's got 154 carries 937 yards and eight touchdowns uh, they bring Cortland Sutton at wide receiver. He's got 558 yards. And Bradley Chubb, they draft with the first round pick, has 10 sacks. They've brought in some rookies, the Broncos, who have really made a huge impact and have helped turn around the season. And you look at other teams too. Even the Browns have brought in some guys, Baker Mayfield, Callaway, Denzel Ward, Nick Chubb, guys that have come in. And while the Browns aren't lighting the world on fire, well, they are for the Browns. They have four wins. But Guys that have come in and are making an immediate impact. And the Niners have done that to some extent this season, where, where you have McGlinchke's done, done a great job. And Pettis is starting to. He's starting to get there. And Fred Warner's been good. Not dynamic, but very good. But you would hope next year's draft class for the Niners, too, where they can bring in guys like a Sutton, a Lindsay, and a Chubb that make that immediate impact for them that are the difference in games that are playmakers for them. Be huge for the Niners moving forward. So, all right, guys, we appreciate you listening to this show. Appreciate Eric Crocker for coming on again. 
Um, we're going to be without Zane here for probably uh, at least a couple months. So we'll have to see what that goes. But we do have some really cool co-hosts. It'll probably mostly be me and a co-host. It won't be me that much like it was uh, this episode. But I hope you guys were able to deal with me. And I appreciate you listening. 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast. This is Al Sacco. Thanks, everybody.